Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning by your Holy Spirit, who guides us into all truth, who comforts us, who empowers us, who brings glory to you. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would be honored during this time now, and that your church would be edified. In Jesus' name, amen. Raise your hand if you came here this morning to hear Daniel chapter 10. Keep them up real high. Come back next week. Always wanted to do that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 for a minute. So here's what we're going to do, just so you'll know. So the, uh, uh, I don't always do this, honestly, uh, but I really felt like today we should do it this way. And that is this. Um, typically, when a missionary family comes, you know, they kind of give like a, you know, a, an update for a, a little bit, for a few minutes, and then I come up and teach. And... Um, so Aaron and Dara were with us, uh, uh, they came in yesterday, and, and we hung out a little bit and, and kind of got all the update, and so I think it would be uh, from the Lord that uh, because they're in Ukraine, and Ukraine is, you know, there's a lot going on, obviously, in Ukraine, that I wanted to give them some more time to share. Is that all right? Yep. Let me rephrase that. I'll talk less today. Is that all right? So, um, in all seriousness, I will get emotional today, so you can just get used to that right now. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 4, everybody there? I've been lately asking myself a lot of, like, why questions. And here's why. Human beings respond to incentive. I see this in the workplace. I always talk about this in the workplace, and, I'm try, and I try to do it uh, at home and here. But have you noticed that there are a couple of different ways you can motivate a human being? And I call it the, some of you heard me say this, I call it the blue bucket approach versus the white stick approach, right? Back in the day, we had animals. We had farm animals. And if you want to get them in the barn, we spent the first couple of years of this trying to figure out how to get them in the barn when you needed to get them in the barn, Right? And so you know what we did? We all had uh, like a, about a six-foot-long PVC pipe, two of us, uh, or two of them, in each, one in each hand, right? And you line up, you know, a big family. All of them got a, you know, 10-foot-wide spread of PVC pipe. We can hurt anything, right? And so, you know, we're kind of doing this, and we're kind of funneling them into the barn, right? It's a lot of work and frustration, and I usually wind up well, that's another story. And, and, you know, and then finally you get them in the barn, right? And then one day it dawned on me, I'll bet you a dollar, if I fill up that blue plastic thing that you get a tractor supply with, I mean, I could put gravel in it, right, and shake it up, right? And what do I do? I walk in the front of them. I'm like, come on, guys. 
Next thing you know, there's no PVC pipes, there's no yelling, there's no frustration, and every animal's in the barn. And I'm thinking, why didn't I think of this earlier? Well, this applies to life, does it not? Yeah. So, you know, I could, I could be a PVC pipe pastor, right? Or I could tell you, God loves you. I could say, it's the love of Christ that compels me. Right? Which do you think is more effective? Right? I'm reading a book right now, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, which is a classic, and, and many of you have probably read it. And, and, but it's just, it's, like, it's just like, why do we do what we do? Right? And so anyway, my, my brain kind of, and I'm coming back around to the Markies, uh, but um, my brain went to Ephesians chapter 4 for just a minute. Starting in verse 11, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Those are powerful, powerful words. And so part of my, one of my why questions that I always ask is, why does the church gather? Why does the church do what it does? Well, it does it, first of all, to, to glorify God, right? And because the love of Christ compels us. But there's also, like, we very much have this uh, sort of uh, collective fellowship relationship, do we not? Right? And... How does that whole gathering, like us together, work? Well, God orchestrates all of it. He gave some to be, have different leadership pieces in the church. And to be fair, let me just caveat for a second. People get, there's some weird doctrines about this. It's, it's a little bit alive and well now. Like, like I'm the uh, new apostle, or I'm this, or I'm that, right? What does that do? That, that undermines the entire heart of this passage, the heart of this passage is, you know what, God, not me, God put different people in different places for what purpose? The why. What's the why? For the why? The why is the edifying of the body of Christ. For what? For the work of your ministry. Raise your hand if you've been here for, less, if you've been here for more than three weeks. Raise your hand if you're a minister, right? Who's a minister? Everybody in the room. Well, what about that hierarchy thing? There's no hierarchy thing, right? Different people do different things in the church. And what I love about, uh, and this is kind of leading to these guys, what I love about these guys is they're just doing their thing on their side of the world, just like you're doing your thing in rural Indiana, right? Just like I'm doing my thing right here, right now. And so I love this. It's for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. What? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So there's a great unity, and I love this uh, when, I, when I see these guys. And some of you know this. Well, I hope all of you know this. You know there's a certain kind of person. Maybe you've got these relationships with people you don't see very often, Right? logistically or whatever. There's just for whatever reason you don't see them very often. But when you do, it's like you've been there all along, right? You know those relationships. 
That's how it is with these guys. And so it, there's a sweetness to it. And so what I wanted them to do was have the freedom to uh, share with you, okay? And so they're going to do that. And, um, but it's all, again, we want to come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And we want to equip you guys, the saints, for the work of your ministry. And to me, I felt like today, the best way to equip you for the work of your ministry is to hear what's going on across the world, right? Same God, different culture, certainly different circumstances, same God, same Holy Spirit, same all of that. Fair enough? So, you say, who are these guys? I'll answer both of you. Who are these guys? So, have you ever, have you ever seen one of those movies where, like, there's two different scenes of something that's happening, like, at the same time, like, you know, I'm zigging and the other guy's zagging at the same time, and then, you know, as the movie plays out, you're going to pull those two situations together? Well, those movies are out there. Just trust me. So, July 4th weekend, I don't know if Aaron even remembers this. July 4th weekend, 1992, Tracy's eight months pregnant with our second child. We are, uh, Tracy and I find ourselves uh, tremendously looking for direction. We had just come out of a church that we, all we knew was that we weren't supposed to be in that church. And uh, it was a big shift for us. Some of you, you know what it's like to, to make a shift like that. We, knew, we didn't know really where we were supposed to be, but we knew, where we, that we knew that we were looking. And long story short, the Lord brought, we had some friends that were bugging us about this church. It was Horizon Christian Fellowship up in Indianapolis. They were bugging us. They were wearing us out about this church. It met on some campsite which is always, sus I mean, that's code for cult, right? And so they met on this campsite, and we were like, whatever. And so, and we heard that they were casual. So we're like, fine, I'll wear my tie, but not my jacket this morning. And we show up, and, and it's July 4th weekend, and nobody gave me the memo that they were all camping out all weekend, and so they got up on Sunday morning, put on their cutoff shorts, and moseyed over to the chapel and all had church together. And here I walk in. Some of you guys can resonate with this. I walked in a little late. That's a whole other sermon. I walked in a little late, and the only seat available was in the front row, spitting distance from the worship leader right? And him and his cutoff shorts and me and my tie, and we made a connection. And my life has never been the same. That was our first introduction to Calvary Chapel. It was our first introduction to really the rest of our lives, and that persists today. Well, the rest of the story is that same weekend, uh, George and Pam Markey and their eight children landed in Kiev, Ukraine that, that week or somehow that, somewhere during that time period. And I remember the pastor uh, at Horizon 
said we need to pray for the Markey family. They landed in Ukraine this week, and they're basically going to try to start a church, right? Because that was 1992, uh, the Soviet wall had come down, and there was tremendous opportunity in Eastern Europe. And so uh, they were there, and uh, they, uh, yeah, so George and Pam uh, and their eight children, they later adopted a, a Ukrainian child after they were there. But at the time, Aaron was five months old, and he's grown since then. And uh, anyway, they all grew up, and uh, we've known them for a long, long time. And George has now been with the Lord since 2007, and uh, the kids are kind of all over the place. You've met some of them, uh, and many of you have met Aaron and Dada. And uh, so they are in Ternopil, Ukraine. Uh, they're still, still there with uh, Johnny and Stephanie and their family, uh, Aaron's brother Johnny. And so um, that's all I can think of. So anyway, they're going to come share, and then I'll come up at the end. Is that fair? All right. Give it up for the Markies. Hi. Hey. That's right. Oh, that's not good. That's not good. good. Hi. Yes. So we gonna. It's real always nice to be here. You guys feel like community, like real church family. I feel feel so welcome every time we're here. I just feel the love and just seeing you guys pray for each other. It's so encouraging. Mm. Like really, such a, a live church. It's sadly, it's very rare in the states now. Like the churches we go to, they're they're very convenient, but this church feels messy, <laughs> but a family. That's how families should be, you know? We're all in each other's businesses, praying and caring for each other. It's very, very encouraging to be here. So yeah, as Scott shared, that we are in the Marquis, and we are in Ukraine. I am actually fully Ukrainian, both parents Ukrainian, I am, but I'm a missionary kid. So my parents are a rare kind of Ukrainian missionaries who are missionaries in Ukraine. So it's very unique, but I have definitely experienced third culture kid, and that's why we connected with Aaron. We've been married for five years, and we've been, yeah. Aaron's, you, you went to Ukraine in 2015, right? Yeah. After college, he moved years. to Ukraine, and we got married shortly after that. So yeah, we've been in Ukraine, and recently Ukraine really changed. As you, many of you heard, probably that in 2022, last year, February 24th, Russia invaded Ukraine. They shot, um, they hit missiles all over Ukraine, all the cities, all the biggest cities in Ukraine that were hit. So February 24th, we woke up to the news that we're pregnant and the war started. That was a big, big shock for us. We were very confused what to do next. There was a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of talks that Kiev's gonna be taken in three days. Then they were like, Kiev's gonna be taken in five days. We were all, like, first few days of the war, we didn't know what to expect. It just felt like somebody died, and you don't want to accept this reality. Like, we were all just crying. We went to my aunt's house, and we were just at their place. But we didn't have enough time to even grieve over this fact, because the, next, the same evening, we start having refugees. So before the war, I need to tell you that, the war's been going on for eight years. It's very weird because we sing, it's, it's the war that's been going on for a year and a half, that's been going on for eight years, that's what's going on for centuries. Because Russia's been trying to 
you know, take over Ukraine for many centuries now. But yeah, they took Crimea, part of Ukraine, in 2014. And then <clears throat> some of the activities were happening since 2015. But it's been just in the East and mostly soldiers fighting Russian soldiers. Very, <clears throat> very, you know, clean fight. Still, there were casualties, but not as bad. But in 2022, they attacked the whole Ukraine. And before that, <clears throat> there were talks of like, you know, Russia's gonna take over. There were a lot, of, even American, American embassies started writing us and they were saying like, you know, you should leave, you should evacuate, like weeks before the invasion. And we're like, yeah, you know, like it's been all going on for eight years. I don't think something's gonna happen. We got our leadership team in the church and we're like, okay, should we prepare for something? Should we have a plan if something goes down? Like, should, well, how should we react? And it was not a serious, not a serious meeting at all because nobody believed that something's going to happen. Like one lady, she, she makes uh, sheets and she's like, well, I have some frozen, like, you know, Anna and Elsa sheets, like just sheets. She's like, I can just give it that to refugees. So seriously, we were not taking it seriously. And we were like, okay, if something goes down, maybe we can host like 30 people at our church, maybe, maybe 35 if we, you know, put them somewhere tied together. So the first night... February 24th, we had 70 people at our church sleeping everywhere. We had like, our sanctuary was just like beds. And it was going on like that for a couple of weeks. Just people would come, stay the night, and leave. And it was just ongoing thing. We would just, you know, give them place to sleep, give them food, and they would be gone the next morning. Because every, nobody wanted to stay in Ukraine. And if they couldn't leave, they would just go closer to the border with Poland. Nobody felt safe. And... We really, the needs were very urgent. We were just reacting. We bought, I don't know how many washers we bought that week. We just kept going to the stores and just buying washers, dryers, cock, uh, crock pots, just because we wanted to be able to host people, to you know, give them a place they can wash clothes, because most people came with nothing but what they were wearing. So we wanted to you know, provide that. And yeah, it was going on like that for a couple of weeks. And then, um, as I said, mentioned before, I also was pregnant. And our family urged us to leave because they were like, you know, you have to take care of yourself too. And there was also talks that our city's gonna be occupied. So Aaron's brother-in-law came and they forced us to leave in a way. Like we were, we were not in a place to make decisions because we really felt like we didn't, we didn't wanna, we saw such a clear need and we were so active, we didn't wanna leave. But we also were scared, and we didn't want to, you know, make a mistake, and we were also thinking about our kids. So they made a decision for us, and we left. But when we were still there, when we were talking with refugees, people just wanted to talk. They were so, you know, like, under impression of what was happening, and they just wanted to share. And a lot of people had questions like, you know, where is God? But when they shared their stories of how they, you know, left the, their cities, we were like, that's where God was. And they were like, wow. Like, they were shocked because... They couldn't clearly see it, but when we heard their stories, it was so obvious how God was leading them out of the cities. You know, somebody, somebody's car was uh, broke like a day before that, but they took a train. It was just amazing stories, you know, how God still like organized all of it and people were able to, you know, come to safety. So when we got, we were in Hungary for um, a month and we were really struggling. Aaron was still active with the refugees that would come to Hungary, and he was still trying to get aid to Ukraine. But we were just, yeah, we didn't want to settle. We were not, we didn't want to leave Ukraine. And we we're like, okay, we, we go back now, or we just move completely. 
like we couldn't just wait, wait it out. We felt like it's going to be unfair to the people there in Ukraine if we just wait the war out and then we come back like, hey, we're back. You know, like how can they listen to us if we miss this whole season in their lives? We weren't there to help them. We weren't there to live it with them. How could we go back and, you know, preach to them in a way, it just felt very hypocritical. So we're like, I think we should just go back. And I think, I mean, I'm not, I know a lot of missionaries did leave, but I do believe it was God's calling for us. You know, like I'm not judging who left because you do need to be sure that God is calling you to do that because it's, it's scary and you are bringing your kids into that. So we decided to go back in May, 2022. We, we got back to Ukraine and we weren't sure how it's gonna look. Because as we, when we left, the need was still very urgent. Like, you know, we were, had refugees. We were just helping them. But when we came back, um, we only had like 20 people um, living at our church permanently. I mean, they were not li- going anywhere in, anymore. So we were like, okay, how is our ministry going to look? Because before that, before the war, we were just, you know, with the church, working with couples, working with families and teenagers. And we're like, what's going to be the need now? How can we be relevant? But when we got to Ukraine, what we saw, there were still the same people with the same problems, with the same marital problems, teenager problems. And we're like, okay, so it's, it's funny, but our ministry didn't change as drastically as we thought it would. Because, you know, you see in the news, the dramatic, you know, there is a whole, you know, the war is happening and it's very global. But people are still struggling with their personal struggles. You know, we came and people are still, you know. And with the war, everything got more, it triggered it. You know, like if they had some small problems with the war, with the stress, it got more. And people felt guilty that they're like, you know, there are people dying and I'm struggling with this. And we're like, yeah, you know, God still cares for you and what you're struggling right now. Even though there are people dying, you can't minimize your, your drama in your life because there's people dying, you know. So we really felt that we were just there to minister to people, to the refugees that would come, and to the people that were there for, you know, since the beginning of the war. So that's what we've been doing. We were just, you know, we started counseling couples, started youth ministry for teenagers, and uh, we also, um, we, we were, we've been doing camps for kids, and it's like overnight camps. We would go somewhere for a week and just be with the kids there. And when we came back, we were like, okay, should we do a camp this year? And we asked some parents, like, would you feel safe to send your kids to the camp now? And most of the parents said yes. They were like, you know, our kids all still want parents. to be... All of the parents. All of, the parents. All of them? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So, like, all of the parents said yes, because their kids are still kids. And because of the war, they're growing up much faster. They're asking questions they shouldn't be asking. So we were like, okay, we need to do, to, to do this camp. And uh, we had a lot of refugee kids at that camp. And it's a different kind of kids like we were just trying to build a small talk with the kids and we would like oh so tell me what do you like to do in school what's your favorite subject well my school is gone there's like it it was bombed it doesn't exist anymore and he's like okay that's a downer like I don't know where to go from there you know so even that like it was it was very easy to go deeper with the kids so it's a privilege it's very sad because their their childhood was robbed but in the way we are able to speak into their lives in this early age and to bring God and to still share that God cares, you know, like with everything that's happening, God is still with them. And during that time, Aaron's brother, Johnny, he wrote a song called With You, I Am Home, Doma in Ukrainian. And we did a, we asked kids from different cities in Ukraine. We asked kids from, that left, like refugee kids, the kids in our city, we asked them to draw pictures 
of the war and what it means for them to be home and what is home for them. And that's the video we, we're going to show right now. That's cool. There's a song uh, written by my brother John, and it's, uh, it's, the name is With You I Am Home. And we asked the kids, um, not, not just like what is home for them, but they also listened to the song and how they related with certain parts of the song. Because the, the verses would be about like the, the context, what's going on around them, you know, um, you know like, a, living in, like a nightmare, uh, or no, a scary, scary nightmare, but I can't sleep, and there's, I'm not sleeping, and it's, you know, the verses talk about what's going on, and then the, the chorus is, but with you I am home. You know, um, and so then that's most of the images were about that, about how they felt like, uh, you know, with God they they feel at peace or they are safe, or what that would be like. Even how they like some of them are more true of how they just feel or what they went through. You know, so that's what we wanted to communicate. Dada just sort of animated them a little bit and wrote the words in, but it's. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it's heartbreaking to see what they have to go through at such a, a young age. You know, their, their childhood has been robbed from them, you know, and that's, that was on our hearts when we, when we went back last year. Was uh, the first thing we thought of was like, we've got to do a kids camp. We've got to, you know, get them together. <laughs> sorry. Just remembering all this, sorry. And, um, yeah, so... That's, Dada told a little bit about it. It was a very different kind of camp than we've done before. We've, we've done a few, like uh, for the past five years, four years, and about 50, 60% were refugees from sometimes far east, you know, pl places that are occupied or have been destroyed, and they don't have a home anymore. Some of them still live in our city, which we're hoping to see them this year. And it was such a different experience. Felt like you know, you just want to like take all of them and just protect them. You know, um, that there were there would be some things that happened at the camp, even though we were secluded. There would be loud noises, or there was a plane, a plane flying above. You know, and, and you see the reactions, and and you just uh, yeah, it's it was such a unique opportunity to actually share with them uh, when they're going through so many hardships. You know, to actually say, where is our our true hope? You know, is it in Ukraine's victory, you know? Well, not really, you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, we believe it would be victory, but that's not where our, it can't be all of our hope, you know, where it all lies. So, um, I thought you wanted to share about your dad, though. No? I'll share about yeah. it. Was it camps? Yeah. Yeah, and then I'll go on. Yeah, so... As I mentioned before, I am Ukrainian, with both parents Ukrainian, and my dad, he was missionary since, um, since he was like 20. And then in 2015, we were missionaries in Odessa, it's near the Black Sea, and when the war started, my dad felt like he wants to go back and fight. He felt like it was his responsibility as a Ukrainian man to fight and protect his land. And he, felt, he went at first as a chaplain, and then he just felt like he'll be able to speak into people's life if he fully equals with them. So he became a soldier, and he was there for two years. And he even had people under him. He was really, um, he was really going through a hard time while he was there because, you know, he was tired and he, was, he lost a lot of friends. And one of the missions that he was in charge of 
all of his people died except him. So he had really bad PTSD. And during that time, he was also going through a hard time with their church. They were not part of our Calvary Chapel church. So the church didn't support him. My dad stopped going to church. He almost stopped. He didn't stop believing in God, but he said, like, God doesn't care about what I do. He didn't stop me. He didn't stop me from this. He didn't stop. So my dad was really in a dark place. Um, that's when we, Aaron and I started dating. And I remember thinking that Aaron will only know my dad this way. He won't know my dad that he was before. And my heart was really breaking, but we couldn't do anything. We could only pray for my dad. And then uh, after that mission that all people died, my dad had really bad PTSD, so he stopped going to the East. And um, yeah, he was just home, but he was very bitter. It was really hard to talk to him. Um, but when we got married, uh, shortly after we got pregnant, and my dad had a dream. He was planning to go again because he felt better after his PTSD, so he felt better to go back to, the, to, to fight. But he had a dream, and in that dream, somebody yelled at him and said, you cannot go because you're going to have a grandson. And my dad was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to have a grandson. And I didn't believe him because I didn't want to have a son, but it was a boy. <laughs> so when our son Elroy was born, the first time my dad held him, he smiled for the first time in like five years. It was just, he came back to life. We have a picture of him holding him. He's just shining. And that's how God broke this guard that my dad had. And my dad started healing and he changed. He be started coming to our church. The last year he started preaching at our church. He was really, really just changed man. So February 24th when Russia invaded Ukraine, the second thought that I had was, I'm gonna lose my dad again because I knew my dad's not gonna sit and wait it out. He's just gonna go and fight. And I'm like, I'm gonna lose him. I'm, he's gonna go back to being bitter. He's gonna go back to hating everyone in Russians, including. And then we had a church meeting and people didn't know even how to pray. It was, we were still so shocked. And my dad, he was the first one to pray and he started praying you know, saying that, you know, we believe that Ukraine's going to win and God is fighting for us. And then he starts saying that, you know, we're fighting not against flesh and blood. We're fighting spiritual battles. And then he starts saying that Ukrainians will, after the war, Ukrainians will go as missionaries to Russia and we will preach the gospel because that's our hope. And from us to hear that, everybody in the church knew my dad's story. They were just like, yes, amen. It really changed the atmosphere in the room because even though we are Ukrainians, we are very patriotic, but as Christians, that's our main citizenship. And we care for the souls, even for the souls of Russians. And it's hard for me to say that because it's really, they are our enemies and they're trying to get us. But yeah, like we, we know what we're fighting for, you know, and Aaron's going to share more about that. It's up to these points when I'm just I'm getting emotional. <laughs> I was there at the at the prayer meeting when she, when he was when her dad was praying, and it was like it was, people were panicky because it's the second day, right? The invasion already happened, and we just nobody knows what's going to happen, what we're going to do, if we're going to get occupied in a few days, Kiev's going to get taken and stuff like that. But um, he just started praying, and it was like you know we recognized first that this, there's a spiritual battle going on, and we don't want to forget that. And he's praying this like to. Sorry, is am I doing something wrong? Oh, maybe hold, hold it up, actually. And, uh, yeah, and, and then after that, it changed the atmosphere of the whole room. You know, people after that were praying, were praying the same thing. And it was, you could sense the spirit moving. And that's something that 
we, we feel like we've been called back to go to because right now it's been a long time, right? This has been going on for a while and people um, are tired. And something that keeps them going and they get it from the media or just, well, just from the, the circumstances is, is hate, right? And that's something that, that can drive you. You know, you, you hate what's going on, you hate the, the, those that are coming and that's something that can actually keep you going. And, and you just see how destructive it is. We've already seen, um, you know, Ukrainians against Ukrainians. You know, like if you, if you speak a Russian language, you know, you come from the East, that's all you know. A lot of people that live in the East, they only know Russian, they don't know Ukrainian very well. And so then, you know, there's a division happening there. And they, you know, more enemies are created. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's a destructive power, right? Because it's, even in the Bible, that's what we see from the beginning, right? From Adam and Eve, there's a, there's a choice. <laughs> there's a path. Um, do you choose the path of death or destruction, hate, uh, you know, or do you choose the path of life, the following God and, you know, doing the things that are good? <laughs> um, that's something we've just been seeing very clearly that we want to, ha we want to just have communities, we have people over, you know, youth and uh, Dada does mom's group, um, which can be a hard time because they're at home with the kids a lot of times and, you know, they don't have anyone to talk to and just encourage people and show them the truth, right? That's in the Bible. That's what, what is, what did Jesus do for us? You know, what he made available a way for us to choose the way of life, you know, where we couldn't before. So, yeah, that's something that this has been on our hearts very heavy, and we try to find these points of contact with people. So we have people over. We, we, have a, we actually moved to a slightly bigger apartment so we could just have a lot more people over, uh, or uh, kids' camps. And there's a new thing that we want to get started. Is, um, Dada mentioned the refugees that were coming to the church. Um, did you say that about the, the aid center? Yeah, the, oh, well, sorry. So there, we had 20 refugees staying with us uh, for a while. And then they moved on, uh, either someplace in Ternopil or just um, back to their homes, actually. Some people went back east, uh, very dangerous. But people started coming to the church just because they knew us. They knew what was at the church. And we were offering clothes, and like once a week we'd be giving food and, and that kind of stuff. And um, at one point, we just like, we, we started seeing the same people, and we're like, oh, so you know, why are you coming, you know, do you, have, do you need this stuff still, is it very urgent? She's like, well, we actually don't really need a lot of this, we just don't know where to go, because we don't know anybody, and we don't have any friends, and just don't know what to do, <laughs> you know? And we're just like, we gotta, we gotta change something. We thought, we'll make a coffee house in the church, like, so it could be transformed, because everything happened in the sanctuary, and the other rooms and everything. But we had this idea of making, like, a coffee shop, and a place where people could come to either just work or to just talk or to hang out. And there's a, because it's a sanctuary, there, there's also stuff going on during the week that people would be able to see. Uh, the refugees that stayed, that we had um, uh, during like service, sometimes they'd be, they'd be living upstairs and they would come down during the service and like in a bathrobe or something and be like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> they've never been to church or they don't really go, you know, so we had a lot of non-believers. Um, but it was a unique opportunity for them just to hear what's going on. Some of them would join in, the, like sit in the prayer meeting or the little Bible studies that we would have and then just listen. They'd sit in the back or something. And, and right now we actually have, 
um, yeah, a few people that have stayed and they got a lot more involved. Like they, they're, they're on a path, you know, we wouldn't, I don't think they're quite Christian yet, but they're, they're on the way there. You know, they're, they're already working with the community with us and they have the same heart for people. And I think that, you know, God is working in their lives with all the changes that they've had with the house that they don't have anymore, you know. Uh, so that's, that's something we've, we've really been looking towards. Um, yeah. I appreciate what Scott was saying, uh, giving some of the backstory, because it, it made me remember um, the whole, the, really, God working in Ukraine. Like, just seeing from the beginning and seeing how, where, where he's led it to now. Uh, when my dad moved, he, he started the first... Well, when we all moved, of course. But my, my dad started the first Calvary in Ukraine. And since then, um, I think there's been maybe about, maybe about 14 or so Calvaries that I know of. I'm not, I'm not sure of all of them. And it's neat to see now how God is, it's like he's prepared. Um, because when everything went down, there was a network of churches that we could communicate with and talk like, what's the need here, what's going on, because uh, at first there was no news, you know, nobody knew what was happening everywhere, and we could just, we talked, talked to each other, you know, like, and we, we see somebody who's way far east, and we're like, what's, what you guys, what's going on right there, how are you guys doing, what can we send you, right, because uh, we had a warehouse in Ternopil where aid would be coming in, and then we try to find out how we can be sending it out, and where's the real need, so there was no, like, you know, where does this need to go? Because um, things on the news would be like the most popular places, right? And so th we found out when we took a bus um, towards, I don't know if you, you guys probably heard about like Bucha near Kiev and a couple of these places where there was, it was just a lot of horrible stuff. It was on the news, the most popular places, right? And so we went there and then we find out they don't actually need a whole lot because people have just been pouring stuff in there and we're like, so where is, where is the need, you know? And so the, it helped us to figure out where to actually take things and not to waste resources and people because there was very few people to do the stuff. So we got to, um, you know, just see how God was using um, just like the churches, right? And bringing unity in this time, which was, it's weird to think during a war, um, you know, God using it for good, you know? <laughs> like seeing all the bad happening, but seeing that God is bringing out the good and using it for, his, for the furthering of his kingdom, you know? And so um, right now, especially, we're just seeing the churches come back together. We were like, we knew each other, but there wasn't a lot going on. You know, like we knew, okay, somebody's over there in Kiev and someone's over there, and they're, but they're doing their own thing. And now it's like, um, well, just recently, I, we made a tour of all the churches and I got to see what they're involved with, what's their, what are the, you know, what are people going through near them, what's, who, you know, seeing how burnt out that a lot of them are as well, and what's the big need. So something we want to do is share resources, obviously, but then also like make teams, like get teams from different churches and we can go serve where there's the most need and, and move like that. It's been really exciting just to see that happening, um, kind of a renewal, really, because a lot of places have just been kind of dead, you know, just not a lot going on. And, and since this has happened, it's like a, just a, a renewal is happening across uh, with all the different, even the churches in our city that we're not affiliated with, but we, we work together 
it's been neat to see this new life come up. And what, what really matters is the things that we're doing. It's not like, um, you know, before they'd get together and talk about what we can do in this city. And sometimes it's about, you know, well, we want to show uh, the Protestants because it's predominantly Catholic there. You know, well, Protestants, here we are, we, you know, and we have, you know, we exist or something. And that's what they want to do. But it's now it's more, it's more about what really matters, you know, about people and about sharing the gospel. So just excited for this new movement happening. Um, I think you want to share this part. It's general safety. Mm -hmm. So yeah, as Aaron said before, um, in um, Mar no, May, beginning of a May, Aaron and some of, couple of guys from our church went to the East. Because East is still closer now to Russia, so there's still more happening, even though Ukraine all over Ukraine is not safe, but still, it's people there. There are very tired, and like so, they want to encourage churches there just to pray with them and just to you know, just to know that they're not alone in this. And when the Aaron was preparing to go, I was really worried, and we were praying, and you know, we felt like God is saying, you know, we don't live not to die. You know, this is not our main goal in life to preserve our lives. We really want to you know do what God is calling us to do. So when he left. I was still worried about him. And two days after he left, he was really close. And that city usually hit when he was there. But that night, our city got hit. And we got four missiles that shut down. I mean, not shut down. They fell down in our city. And I woke up in the middle of the night with my kids from the windows shaking. And it was scary, but it also brought the reality back out. Like, you know, we do live in the wartime. And, oh, just now. I still get notifications what's happening in Chernobyl right now. So I just got something that's happening. Always something's happening. But yeah, it's just like, that's the reality we'll live in. You know, we, we serve, we minister to people, but it's all in a context of war. So for example, very often it happens when we do decide to go to have breakfast with Aaron and our kids. By the time we get dressed, the sirens start. And when the sirens start, we can't go out at all. We, have, we don't go to the uh, shelters anymore or bunkers, but we just have to stay in our apartments. So we have to wait it out. And, and it's just like, yeah, like everything we plan, even this camp that we're going to have in, in July, end of July, we're, we don't know if it's going to happen because war still dictates its rules, but we know that God is not surprised by it. You know, God is not faced by some things that are happening, and it's encouraging. And in the way, it's a privilege to really live this close. Like, just, we're led by Holy Spirit. We can't live on our own. We, every day, we, I go to bed when I put the kids to sleep. I was like, okay, God, you know, like, missile might hit our building this night, because that's what they've been doing. Mostly Russians attack at night. So closer to 10 p.m., the siren starts and missile. Ukrainians do a really good job shooting the missiles down, but still, it's a possibility and it's our reality. And our desire today was to just to encourage you to share what's happening because I know a lot of people you see in the news and you're not sure what you believe anymore. So we just wanted to bring awareness of what's happening and that we really do need your prayers still. We need prayers for Ukraine in general and for Christians just to still stay strong in what they believe in and to remember what, what their main citizenship is. And also we wanted to encourage you like, yeah, to pray because <clears throat> we believe in the power of prayer and even you're here you affect what's happening there. <clears throat> like, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> um, we had our friend, she was in Occupied Village, 
and we couldn't get, a, get through to her. Like, the phones weren't working. Uh, we couldn't get the ex extraction team to get the, her family out. And every day for two weeks, we would wake up and we'd just try to get her out. And then, by a miracle, God let, her, let them out himself. Like, just Russian soldier decided to show mercy, and he led them through the minefield. And they were like, it's so humbling, because we tried to do everything in our strength, but then God is doing what he's doing, and we're just, you know, we're just his instruments. And your prayers affect what's happening there, too, you know? So, yeah, I think that you want to share something, add something? Yeah, just a little about, it's, it's got shared at the beginning um, about uh, church and the, and the unity, and it's something that we've experienced even during this, especially during this time, you know, like, so in Ukraine, right, the churches and working together, but then there's been a lot of, um, so much support, you know, from churches over here and from you guys, we've heard you guys, like, you guys praying and reaching out, and it's been, yeah, it's very encouraging to hear that, and I think to have all these prayers, because we, we shared about our friend, and um, a lot of people were praying for her, and I know that that's what, you know, what brought her through, you know, God, God made a way, it's, it's a very, very unusual story, <laughs> especially at the time, um, but yeah, so it's, it's God is working through the church, you know, through the whole body worldwide. It's, it's not just us in Ukraine or it's not just here. You know, it's, it, he's working through us together. So we want to thank you guys for having us, you know, to, to be able to share that with you. Um, hopefully we can encourage you, you know, that it's not just what's going on here as well. And it's, you know, you're affecting the world. <laughs> <laughs> and the message of the gospel and, you know, love is relevant any day, every, everywhere, you know. And I, I know that, you know, even media now here also trying to, you know, get you against each other. There's different parties. And it's just like, yeah, we remember what we believe in. We remember what our hope is. And, yeah, I, I do believe it's relevant to Americans too. So thank you. So, you know what to pray for, right? Uh, and uh, prayer is uh, for sure their greatest need. Um, and that's why I wanted to give them the time to kind of share this story. Because so often, I think, like, when we talk about, um, you know, uh, supporting missionaries and stuff like that, so often we think of it as writing a check, right? And that's a part of it, right? But a check is not what you need when you lay your kids down at night. So let's be diligent to pray for them. All right, is that fair? That's number one. Number two, checks are convenient. Is that fair? Yep. Okay. Um, if you're old school, you've been around here, you know this spiel, but if you're not, uh, I'm going to give it. So old people just put up with me for a minute. Um, you get a taste for the prayer need for sure. There's also obviously uh, a tangible need uh, for uh, support. And I always say this when, whenever uh, any of these guys come, 
Because I think there's a thing in the body of Christ, unfortunately, that has been propagated for a long, long time throughout uh, at least American churches, uh, and that is uh, that you owe the church, you owe this church something. And whatever you have left over, eh, give it to these guys or whatever, right? I, I just got to stand against that. That's just fundamentally wrong. It's just fundamentally wrong. I want to, first of all, you know, shake the blue bucket and tell you that God loves you, right? And that Jesus died for you. And, and then tell you, based on that, do whatever you think you ought to do, okay? And the church exists to edify the body of Christ for the work of your ministry. You don't come here to feed the church, right? The church exists to encourage your ministry. And so if that means that between you and the Lord, your financial aspect of your ministry means that you give all your support whatever you and the Lord decide, if that means that you give all your support to these guys or to some other cause or something like that, and you give nothing to this church, well, that's awesome. That tells me that you're hearing from the Lord and you're having that dialogue with him. And so if that means you don't give anything, to, I, I don't know who gives what to this church. I saw somebody the other day, I couldn't tell you what, now you're going to think, she's the word messy. Did you notice that about this church? In a good way. In a good way. Good messy. I like good messy. I couldn't tell you how much is in our checking account right now. I couldn't give you... Larry knows. If you want to know, ask Larry. Uh, if I ever want to know, I ask Larry. If I come in and the lights don't work, I'm going to ask Larry, right? <laughs> but the reality is uh, that's between you and the Lord. That's not between you and this church and the Lord, right? It's between you and the Lord. And so all that to say... I want you to feel free to, to pray, ask the Lord, should I be getting behind these guys in a tangible way? You should definitely be getting behind these guys in a, in a prayer way, but should I be getting behind these guys in a tangible way as well? And so, uh, all that to say, they have prayer cards back there, okay, and uh, that you can take home and stick on your fridge and be praying for them every time you, you see the picture, and, and, uh, and then there's a sign-up list for email so you can kind of be in contact with them. Is that fair? All right. Let's pray for these guys. Lord, I do pray for Aaron and Dara and for their family. And uh, Lord, what a sweet family. And I pray that you'd bless them. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just give them tremendous resilience and peace and love for even uh, the Russian people. And uh, Lord, all that's a part of who you are and who you've always been. And so, Lord, I pray that you protect them. And I pray that you would just give them tremendous influence for good uh, to uh, all the people they encounter over there. And that you would um, uh, just, uh, that your gospel would just go out uh, in all the region there uh, as a result of what you choose to do uh, in and through these guys. And so, uh, Lord, we pray you'd bless them. And just uh, thank you so much for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.